Aaron. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. A recent global survey declares that people worldwide, particularly in democracies, are overwhelmingly losing their trust in the government, in media, and business leaders. That's according to a new global survey across 28 countries. It's the Edelman's 2022 Global Trust Barometer, which surveyed 35,000 people, 67% of people worldwide, believing that journalists are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things that they know are false or gross exaggerations. Another 66% believe that the government is being misleading, and 63% believe that of business executives. According to Edelman, in responding to this survey, said we find a world ensnared in a vicious cycle of distrust fueled by a growing lack of faith in media and government. But could it be? that that growing lack of faith in media and government is also finding its root in a growing lack of faith in the God who made and preserved us a nation and who created the worlds. Today on Viewpoint, we want to take a look at this matter of faith. It seems very elusive these days. Everybody talks about faith. you got to have faith. They talk about my faith, your faith, somebody else's faith. They talk about the matter of faiths. But what is faith anyway? I suppose it depends on who you talk to, but from the biblical perspective, there is an understanding, a clear understanding of what faith is. The problem is that most Christians don't have that biblical understanding anymore. And so they have been led to believe overall that their feelings actually define true faith. If they have feelings, warm feelings, or religious feelings, or whatever it might be, that's how they measure and define their faith. It's interesting, isn't it? Yet Jesus uh, described to his generation, he said, you are a faithless generation, a faithless generation. And yet, the majority of them were going to synagogue, they were Uh, Jewish people, they were heirs according to the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were heirs according to the words of the prophets, and yet he called them a faithless generation. What would Jesus say today to America? What would he say to you wherever you're living around the world? What would he say not only to us as a people, but what would he say to us individually? What would he say to our families? What would he say to our congregations? What would Jesus say? It was in the 1990s that a fad developed called WWJD. It was on bracelets all over the country, and it actually represented these words, what would Jesus do? It came as a modern reiteration of the words 
of a very famous book, one of the most famous books in all of American history called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon that was published in the late 1800s, sold over a 100 million copies. It was all about what would Jesus do. Well, his grandson or great-great-grandson reiterated that book under the name What Would Jesus Do? Not in his steps, but What Would Jesus Do? WWJD. So here's the question that I have for you. This is a question that should echo through our minds and our hearts today as we look at what's happening in our world, as we look at what's happening in our nation, as we see how trust has devolved into distrust and even anger, not only throughout the country, but around the world. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus fret? Would he wander around wringing his hands in despair? What would he do? No, he wouldn't do that at all. He would be trusting the Father. In fact, he had to learn to trust the Father. The Bible says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And when you're learning obedience, you're learning how to trust. You're learning what faith really means. And should that not be an indication to us that we're on very, very dangerous and shaky ground in our country, even in our churches today, when the word obey has become the most hated word in the church? the very word that most accurately reflects whether we are truly in love with the Lord and trusting him. Because you won't obey someone you don't trust. Will you? And so today on Viewpoint, we want to sort through some of these things and see where we are as a country, what we can do about it. We're going to talk about faith, we're going to talk about fatalism, and we're going to talk about futility. Faith, fatalism, and futility. So I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers, conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and we're told that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. With the faith is the victory that overcomes the world, then how is it that we're not overcoming the world? How is it that the world is overcoming us? Interesting question. And here on this program, as you know, if you've been listening long, we ask provocative questions. You might call them rhetorical questions that are designed to flesh out what we really think, what we really believe, and then apply it to ourselves rather than just have what you might call generic Bible teaching that gives you heads full of information but does almost nothing to change your life. Well, in order to put this in perspective, we want to jump back to about 1990. 1990 is just before the the Lord spoke to my heart in 1992 that uh, I had been pleading the cause of men long enough as a lawyer and that he wanted me to plead his cause in the land as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation in America's greatest crisis hour. So I yes said, yes, sir. And by 1993, the end of 1993, we had formed Save America Ministries for the rebuilding of the foundations of faith and freedom. And so that was the period of time. As we entered the 1990s, came suddenly and urgently clear 
a tumultuous change that was occurring in America, declared secular advertisers Patterson and Kim. Where did they declare that? In their book, The Day America Told the Truth. It came out in 1990 or 91. They said on every front, the ground beneath our feet in America is shifting. Yesterday's verities or truths had vanished. Unpredictability and chaos became the norm. We could no longer tell right from wrong, they observed, and it raises fear and doubt, which leads to depression. Americans have more of both fear and doubt, and of depression too, than did any previous generation. And Americans are wrestling with these questions in what often amounts to a moral vacuum. It seems all have lost their meaning in our moral imagination. Secular words with spiritual implications. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. About 20 years ago, I sat in the Cincinnati airport awaiting a connecting flight, and I was conversing with a man who said he was from Zimbabwe. He told me how American missionaries used to come to his country, and when asked why America was so blessed, he said we would respond that America honored God. But then the man's countenance darkened right there at the airport, and in a worried tone, he said, In my country, we are worried about America. What has happened to America? It's like sticking a sword in you, isn't it? Could it be that there's a clear connection between America's churches today and the decline of America's genius and power? Could it have anything to do with why we have become an increasingly faithless generation resorting to fatalism and an orgy of feelings, while at the same time seeing greater and greater futility. We want to shape this today here on Viewpoint, and I'm glad, as I said before, that you have joined us here because we're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home. The deepest issues have to do with whether or not we are people of a living faith. But what does that mean? What is a living faith, anyway, as opposed to a dead faith? Well, a dead faith has uh, beliefs that really don't amount to anything. They don't accomplish anything. They're not rooted in anything of eternal value. So in America's past, we drifted into spiritual complacency and private and public morals were waning. So God sent men and women into our midst who carried the truth, delivered it potently so we could hear and heed it. He sometimes delivered his truth through unsuspecting sources, once through a baseball player like Billy Sunday, once through a lawyer, Charles Finney. 
And each time a shaking occurred in America that converted people's minds and turned their hearts, resulting in both restoration of private and public faith and in renewed moral behavior. So the soul of the nation was renewed. You see, faith was not just some esoteric concept, but it was something that produced active change. An awakening of mind and spirit occurred, bringing renewed life and vigor to the American people. We called it a great awakening. That, by the way, is America's only hope to to this very day. But the problem is we have uh, walked away so far, drifted away so far from genuine, substantive, biblical faith that one wonders, is there any hope? But there is hope. There is hope. You remember that jailer, the Roman jailer, once asked this question. He was shaken in an earthquake, and uh, the apostles got out of there, and the jailer cried out in the agony of his own empty spirit, what must I do to be saved? And the apostle responded, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should be saved in your house. Well, that's what we need to do, but here's the problem. We've even distorted the meaning of the word believe. So we have several words. We've talked about this before, and I'm going to reiterate it here to help us to understand how we can restore the kind of trust, the kind of faith that is needed if indeed we are to survive as a people, as a country. Will it be America's finest hour? or most faithless hour? That's really the question. Will it be America's finest hour, or our most faithless hour? So there are three things that have to happen. One, we have to have a restored, genuine belief. Not just a cognitive belief. Not just a cognitive assent to certain facts, maybe certain religious facts, certain facts concerning God, such as he's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. That's fine to know that. It's good to know that. But the reason we know that is so that we can believe, so that we know more about God, so that we can believe him. Not believe in him, but believe him. You see, God doesn't call us to believe in him. The devil believes in God and trembles. God doesn't call us to believe in him. He calls us to believe him. And belief in God, in one sense, has actually been destroying America because we convinced ourselves that we were in a good place in faith and trust as Christians, but in fact, we were not. We were trusting cognitive assent, a Greco-Roman concept of belief, rather than the biblical concept of belief, which means to be willing to hang your life on what you say you believe. In other words, it requires action. Well, that brings us to another word, faith. The word faith. We're talking about faith here today. 
Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But what is it? Is it just something free-floating, some concept that's, uh, uh, that we can't really hang our hat on, we can't quite figure out? Certainly you can't touch it. But yet it must be something very real because we talk about it. Would we talk about something that wasn't real? Something that was just a figment of the imagination? I don't think so. But there's something about faith, perhaps, that we either have lost or have never really fully grasped. We want to talk a little bit about that here on the program today. The third word is trust. Believe, faith, and trust. You see, you will not trust anyone you don't have faith in. And you won't have faith in anyone you don't truly believe. Therefore, belief, faith, and trust are all a trilogy necessary for a true living faith. There is no such thing as a true living faith, biblical-wise, without the threesome, the trilogy of belief, faith, and trust. Now, here's what's, hap- here's what's going to happen. Here is the result, ultimately, of belief, faith, and trust working together the different facets of the same word in the Bible. Different facets of exactly the same word. When we operate in genuine belief and living faith, it produces a trust that is unswervable, we have hope. That's when we get hope. And hope, the Bible says, makes not ashamed. That kind of hope is not a frivolous hope. It's not a a fatalistic hope. It is a genuine hope based on substance. Okay, you say, well, is belief substance? Is faith substance? Is trust substance? Well, that brings us to an interesting passage, of which I'm sure you are well, well familiar. If we go to the great faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, we find the words, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, wait a minute. Let's repeat that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Is that the kind of faith you have? Are you sure? And if it is, then why are you fretting? Why are you walking around in a faithless kind of worry and fretting and fear if indeed you have that kind of faith? You see the problem. Now, let me let you off the hook just a little bit here, because we all hold this treasure in earthen vessels. This is the great struggle that you and I have. Holding this treasure of the gospel of salvation and truth in earthen vessels. In other words, fleshly people. This is why we needed to be delivered from the flesh so that we could walk in the Spirit. For they that are servants to the flesh are in bondage to the flesh. 
and cannot walk in the Spirit. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. You ought to, ought to read it, the first, uh, what, 10 or 11 verses. Because if we are not walking in faith and trusting God, we're of all men most miserable. Our faith is empty. And so we are at war. Disbelief and unbelief and distrust are evidence of our flesh man at war with our spirit. So the question is, which man is going to win? My flesh man or my spirit man? My reborn spirit or am I going to hark back to the flesh man? Paul describes this in Romans chapter 7 in dramatic terms for himself. Then again, he repeats a similar kind of phrase in Philippians chapter 2 where he, and chapter 3 where he says, look, I, I have to forget those things that are behind. I'm not going to keep looking on those things, and I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to uh, continue to... Uh, distort my future by looking at the past. But I'm going to reach forward unto those things that are before, and I'm going to press toward the mark. Press toward the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. A lot of people think the high calling of God in Christ Jesus is to make a confession of faith. No. No. That's not the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus is to walk like Jesus walked. To walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, that you and I are engaged in such a faith life, trusting God, believing him, not believing in him, but believing him, that our life actually on the ground reveals a kind of almost tangible truth about what faith really is. In other words, faith comes alive. It becomes incarnated in your body, my body, in the body of Christ. Can you imagine what would happen if indeed in our country in the next 30 days there would be such a revelation of this in the mind and heart of professing Christians, which supposedly number somewhere around uh, 70 plus million people, maybe more depending on how you define Christian. Can you imagine what would happen in this country? There would be a tangible, virtually tangible uh, sensation throughout the entire country. Whoa, what has happened? Something has happened. Now, they can't actually touch it, but they become immediately aware of it. Like Patterson and Kim said, you see, in the early 1990s, he said, something happened. It suddenly became urgently clear that a tumultuous change was occurring in America. The ground beneath our feet began shifting. 
The things that we thought were true had vanished. Unpredictability, unpredictability and chaos became the norm. We couldn't even tell right from wrong, and it raised fear and doubt, which leads to depression. Do those things resonate as to what characterizes our country today? Even professing Christians? Friends, I feel it necessary as we came together today on the air to seriously exhort us all not to go back and look at the news. We've shared enough of that here today. What we need to do is look at ourselves now. That the problem is not with them, it's with me. Like the old gospel song used to say, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So we want to talk a little bit more, flesh out this meaning of what it means to believe, what it means to live a life of faith and have the kind of trust that will bring victory. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're applying the Word of God with regard to our own lives as it relates to the words belief, faith, and trust. That ultimately, if we understand these, will provide a resurrection of genuine hope. A hope that makes not ashamed, even amid the drastic situations that are taking place in our world today. Now, <clears throat> with, without truth, without the foundation of truth, it's almost impossible to truly and meaningfully discuss the words belief, faith, and trust. So we're going to take just a moment and take a look at where we stand with regard to the issue of truth. In my book, Renewing the Soul of America, endorsed by 38 national Christian leaders, under the chapter Faith and Freedom, I write, It is most disheartening that 75% of all adult Americans have come to believe there is no such thing as absolute truth. That is, truth that remains constant, relevant, and applicable throughout the changes and shifts in life's experiences and culture. Among those who claim to be born-again Christians, 66% concur that there is no absolute dependable truth that exists 
upon which to base one's life, behavior, and decisions. That fact alone, friends, tells us that among that 66%, there is no true belief, no true faith, no true trust, and therefore no hope. Now, shockingly, few Americans in mainline Protestant churches today believe in absolute truth in the population at large. Clearly, no portion of the American populace escapes the sinister blight of unbelief and faithlessness, whether they are professing Christians or non-Christians. Yet the very foundation of our nation was the firm conviction that God's truth, as expressed in the Bible, is fully dependable for personal and national life and practice. So profound is the shift off our biblical foundation that despite the fact that we have more Bibles per capita than any other nation on earth, pollster George Gallup declared we are a nation of biblical illiterates. He says Americans revere the Bible but don't read it. It should therefore come as no surprise that we now founder in heavy seas at every level of society, both individually and institutionally. So, in response, I wrote, we now run frantically to and fro in search of surrogate truth. Having rejected absolute truth upon which we could build our lives and preserve our nation, we search for a per, and pursue a plethora of therapeutic remedies to make us feel better and help us cope. But it isn't working. We seek therapy rather than truth. And the consequences are enormous, not only for American society, but also for you, for me, our children, and our grandchildren. And we're all caught to one degree or another in the swirling waters of unbelief and its consequences. Hmm. I want to make this book available to you because I think it will be very encouraging and inspirational to you. Renewing the Soul of America. There is a reason why 38 national Christian leaders endorsed this book. Across wide spectrum, they saw in it something radically different than any other book written concerning our country in this generation. It provided real hope. Real hope. Not just a bunch of political uh, punditry, but real hope based upon the reality of God's viewpoint in our country. Now, it's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or you can write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Renewing the soul of America. What's amazing about this book is that virtually every single chapter is rooted in your response. Not the liberals, not the abortionists not some president or attorney general. Oh, we deal with all those issues, but the reality of the book is if I expect there to be any meaningful change in which anybody else could put hope 
it all lies with me. So the question is then, what should I do? Well, what I should do is first defined by what I must be. You see, that seems to have escaped us as Christians. God did not call us to be human doers. He called us to be human beings. And it's out of the being, in his word, the being which requires a level of belief, of faith, and trust, out of that comes the works of the kingdom that bring change that people can believe in, not just talk. Faith requires a walk, the walk of faith. So, let's talk about that. What is faith? Well, first of all, the Christian faith professes an unreserved belief in the Bible as God's word to mankind, true, tested, unchanging. Faith is also full and unreserved confidence in God, in his love, in his power. His belief that God is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But faith is not a feeling. It's a choice. As Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Faith is a faith in a person. It's not some generic religion. You can talk about that as uh, you know the various faiths of the world, but that's not using it in a biblical sense. True biblical faith is faith in a person that saves a believing soul, not faith in a particular philosophy or a code of rules. It's not faith in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments alone cannot save you. If they could, Jesus would not need to have come. He was the living Torah that came to flesh out or give full meaning to the law. He didn't get rid of the law. He fleshed it out. He made it real from God's viewpoint. Now, we know every Christian would probably agree with the fact that by grace we're saved through faith. That it's not because of ourselves, it's a gift of God. That's true. But that's not the end of the story. I'm saved by grace through faith through an act of faith, and I choose to believe, and then what? Do I still need faith? Absolutely, if I want to live a life that pleases God. To be saved by his life, I need a faith that leads me to action. The Apostle Paul calls it the the obedience of faith. Then he also talked about fighting the good fight of faith. You see the action? There's something that I have to be involved with and do that is a living expression of the faith I profess to have. It has nothing to do with my feelings. They can go up and down like a yo-yo. 
I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Faith opens the door to a a victorious life. As the Bible says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. We can truly overcome, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Did you know that only the overcomers are going to make it into the kingdom? If you were to read the uh, book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches of Asia, it's all about writing to the church of the then time, the now time, and the end time. It's a, they're spiritual letters addressing certain issues concerning professing Christians, both individually and collectively. And over and over again, it repeats these words, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes. You see, faith is to overcome something. If faith, if your faith does not overcome, you will be overcome. That's what's happening in our country. We're being overcome because our faith is not an overcoming faith. We don't trust God anymore, not much. We trust our feelings. We've redefined God according to our own image. Time Magazine even attested to that, saying that church would never be again be the same. Back in 1993, they said, because Americans are looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image. The day, April 5th, 1993, Time Magazine, a cross on the front cover saying, the generation that forgot God. Do you realize how far back that was? What is that, 28, 29 years ago? Wow. Now you can see perhaps why we're talking about this here today, because people are getting more and more frantic. They're getting frenetic. They're losing trust. They're losing hope. You and I, friends, if we're professing the name of Christ, are the agencies of hope and trust and belief. We should be. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today we're being exhorted to live by faith, not by sight. 
The just shall live by faith. Yes, the Apostle Paul wrote that in the book of Romans, but you know where it came from? He took it right out of the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. That's always been God's intent. If that were not true, then why would Abraham be lifted up as the father of the faith or faithful? He was in the Old Testament. He preceded the law, didn't he? Yet he's lifted up as the incarnation, shall we say, of faith. In the book of Revelation, excuse me, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the great faith chapter, which I urge you to read and memorize and uh, meditate on and ask the Lord, you know, how do I measure up here? What would you say to me with regard to my life right now? What is the measure of my faith? What is the measure of my trust? What is the measure of my actual belief? You see, they have to go together, like love and marriage. Belief, faith, and trust. They all come from the same Greek word. It's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of like water. You see, you've got H2O, but it has three different manifestations, three different facets to H2O. Ice, a solid, and gas, steam, and then the liquid, water. But they're all the same thing. Belief, faith, and trust. We're told to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding. In all our ways, we're supposed to acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. Do you believe that? I'm not meaning do you believe it in theory. Do you actually believe that? And if you actually believe that, why are you fretting? (laughs) You get the point. You see, we're battling There is a flesh man in each of us that is battling with the Spirit of God. Which one is going to win? Which one is winning? See, this is how the Word of God is intended to be preached and taught. It's intended to be applied in such a way that the Holy Spirit then can grip our minds and hearts with the word, and bring about transformation. It's not supposed to be presented as an informational package. The information is just elementary, my dear man Watson. We need application that brings transformation. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we know that Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe, not only believe that he is, 
but also that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That is a different kind of belief, isn't it? That is moving from mere belief to faith. Acting on the word of God. So that brings us to the very next verse. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet even seen or understood, moved with fear because of what God said, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. I want to ask you a question then. Have you been preparing an ark for the saving of your house? I'm not talking about building an ark of sticks and stones, lumber and pitch. Not talking about that. I'm talking about building an ark of faith. Belief, faith, and trust. If you're not intentionally doing that, you are not a man of faith or a woman of faith. That's what Noah did. Has not God in his mercy given us even more warning than he gave Noah of what was coming? Of course he has. We have so much more to go on than Noah did, but he spent 120 years building that ark. Wow. Talk about a long obedience in the same direction, and that's what faith is. The pastor Eugene Peterson gave that definition too, and I think it's tremendous. Faith is a long obedience in the same direction. If God speaks, I act until he changes his mind. Has God given a word to you? Then act on it. Have you been acting on it? Faithfully? Trusting him in obedience? Fine. Continue to act on it. Has he given you a further word to give you a change of direction? Then act on that. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place that he should receive for an inheritance, obeyed. Notice the linking of the word obey with faith. There's no such thing as faith without obedience because it reveals trust. So Abraham went out, not knowing where he went. God said, go, and he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country. Do you know when it was that God told Abraham to get out and go? He was 75 years old. How old are you? Do you think that God doesn't have a place and a purpose for people who are 75 years old? He does. He's looking for someone who will obey him. He's looking, the eyes of the Lord are roving true and throw throughout the whole earth just to find people who will listen, hear him, and do his will. By faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country. He didn't know a single soul in Canaan. He got there, 
It was totally strange. He had come from Ur of the Chaldees, and then from Haran in Syria. He didn't know anything about Canaan. He was a stranger, a pilgrim. In fact, he was called an alien. He was as if he were an alien in Canaan. Maybe you feel a little bit like an alien in America today. And that's understandable. But it's particularly in that kind of situation that you and I are called to live by faith and not by sight and not by feelings. Abraham was looking for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Question, what city are you looking for? Do you really think that Washington, D.C. is that city? Do you really think that Rome is that city? Do you really think that the capital of your state is that city? No. Friend, if it hasn't become apparent to you yet, you are a stranger and a pilgrim in this land. You are living in the world, but hopefully are not of the world, of the spirit of the world. And if you are of the spirit of the world, you're not living by faith. Period. You're conformed to this world, and therefore you're not being transformed by your faith. Now it's interesting because the Bible says that these all, like Noah and uh, uh, Abraham, they died in faith, not having received all the promises. But they saw them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Wow. Friends, that's exactly how you and I are supposed to live. We see the hope afar off, what God has promised. Jesus made mention of that in uh, the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. The where I am, there you might be also. We're not looking for a city here. We're looking for the city of God. The new Jerusalem. But in the meantime, we're here. Not as if our souls are rooted here, but we're living as strangers and pilgrims in an increasingly God-forsaken, seemingly God-forsaken planet. And because they were looking for a better country, that is, they were looking heavenly, they had their hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lead on Jesus' name. We're looking, though, beyond. We're living now, seeking to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We want to be uh, have our hearts full of holy hospitality so that we can make a difference here. You might want to get a copy of the book, Hospitality, 
the power of hospitality. It'll give you wonderful, wonderful inspiration as to how to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only right here on this planet. Because an open heart, open hand, and open home will change our world. Hospitality from the heart. Or excuse me, the power of hospitality. It's uh, $15 on our website, saveus.org. My wife and I wrote this. It's a powerful message of what we must be about if we truly are living by faith. Now, as we get close to wrapping up, again, I want to repeat, these men that live by faith, having not received the fullness of the promises yet, they knew that they would, and they, as it were, envisioned them afar off, and they were fully persuaded in their own minds and hearts. That's what it means to believe. And they embraced them. That's what it means to walk by faith. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, means they were living in complete trust. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God has prepared for us a city as well. It's called the New Jerusalem, friends. It's not called America. It's called the New Jerusalem. Do I love my country? Yes, I was born here. I've been a true patriot all my life. But I'm coming more and more to, re to reveal and, and uh, understand that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's open door. And I can't. It's just increasingly difficult to feel at home in this world anymore. Friends, it's time for us to restore biblical belief biblical faith, biblical trust, if we want to have hope. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. I trust this has been encouraging. Get a copy of the book, Renewing the Soul of America, on our website, $15. We'll put it in your hands. How encouraging that will be. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.